The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I look back on this road I've traveled, I've seen so many times He's carried me through And if there's one thing I have learned in my life My Redeemer is faithful and true My Redeemer is faithful and true Everything He has said He will do And every morning His mercies are message today is entitled, The Righteous Will Live by Faith. Almighty God, quicken now this word 
make it simple and plain to our hearts. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. From the time I was a young child, I have basically had one interest in life. And that interest has been Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize that's not true for many of you. You had many other interests. And today, many of you still have many other interests. The day will come when all that will matter to you is Jesus Christ. Because either you are going to be found in Christ Jesus, or you are going to be found for eternity in hell. Those are the only two places we can spend eternity. It would seem to me that if I were planning a vacation to Tuscany, which I want very much to do, I would spend some time looking at all of the travel books, deciding which hotels I'd like to stay in and which are the best restaurants in town, and where are the sites I should go see? Well, I tell you what, Tuscany doesn't hold a candle to heaven. So I consider the Bible the travel guide for making arrangements for my eternity. No one is going to end up in heaven by accident. But many will end up in hell because they didn't have time and they had too many other interests that drew their heart. Your life will go by so quickly. You understand, you were a baby once, cuddled and kissed and loved. Well, you're not a baby anymore. What happened? You're on a timeline and it is a limited Timeline. Now you can go through that timeline unconscious, or you can go through that timeline very consciously, making choices and decisions that will bring you to the destination you wish to arrive at. So, which destination have you decided you want to arrive at? Heaven or hell? If it is heaven, it is going to take every ounce of your energy. It is going to take a focusing of your mind. It's going to take cutting off. Look, if I go to Tuscany this next summer, that means I can't go to Hawaii. Right? I mean, I can't go both places. You can only go to one place. Heaven or hell. If you leave it to a throw of the dice, you'll end up in hell. So, please forgive me today, but I'm going to take you into the inside of my spiritual journey. I'm still on it. And there are some things I'm trying to figure out and trying to understand Because I need a breakthrough in my journey. In Galatians, 
Paul sets the table for us in the second chapter, beginning with verse 20. Galatians, the second chapter, beginning in verse 20. And I urge you, if you're sitting by yourself and you see someone with a Bible, go sit beside him. You need to be reading this with me. We're going to go intensely into the Word of God today. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. This is the Apostle Paul. He's saying, look, I've been crucified. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I've read that so many times, prayed over it so many times. Because the next words of Paul are a slap in the face. You foolish Galatians, literally in the Greek, you lazy, careless Galatians. You lazy, careless Galatians. He's saying, I've been crucified with Christ. Everything about my life is focused in Jesus. And he's going to say, you decided to be crucified with Christ. You decided to be a follower of Jesus. And now you've become lazy and careless. Foolish. But I want you to see as he unfolds what he's trying to say. Before your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And Paul is saying, and I also was crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Now, let me tell you what I'm going to tell you. There are two ways that we human beings can live. Only two. One is by total, complete entering into Jesus Christ. Or two, going out and creating for yourself everything you could possibly create. Two ways. Either you are hidden in Jesus, you are in him, or you are out of him, and you are in yourself, and you are creating your own reality. And he's saying to these people in Galatia, you lazy, careless people, you have left the way of the Spirit, and you are now attempting in your own flesh to create your own reality and your own life. Now, I would read through verse 3 for many years. Are you 
so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Are you trying now to go back to your old way of creating your own reality and walking in your own choices and your own decisions? Have you left the way of being in Jesus? Now, this was very painful for me because just in the verse prior, in verse 2, he says, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? I was raised on the story Bible, where the power of God would come and people would be healed, the sick would be raised up. I was raised on these stories. And my dad's greatest interest was to once more see revival come. And then I saw revival come in just some small ways. In the Jesus movement, for example, I saw high school and college kids, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, who were totally opposed to Jesus, who were freaking out on LSD and marijuana and everything else they were into. I saw them suddenly transformed by the power of Jesus. There was no logical explanation for what happened to them, except one day they were a pagan, and the next day they were devoted to Jesus. On the college campus, I was looked at as someone who was strange and crazy because I was a theology major, and theology majors had to be insane. That was the cultural belief of that day, because in that day, everyone was involved in orthodox belief. Doctrine was the most important thing. Experience, forget it. We didn't have any. We were hardcore orthodox believers. So I was taught, do it all right, Ray. And I couldn't do it right. And so I spent a lot of time in my college years utterly discouraged because I wasn't able to pull off being holy. And then this Jesus movement came. And it exploded on campuses. And I went back to the same campus that I had gone to college. And now suddenly, because I was a pastor, everyone was, Pastor, tears, come pray with me. Come pray with me. I'm a sinner. I've got to find Jesus. I'd never seen anything like this. And I think probably most of you have never seen anything like this. A couple have. And then it was gone. Came like a wind. And it blew away. And now we didn't have orthodoxy anymore. And we didn't have the Holy Spirit anymore. We just had feel-good religion, prosperity religion, entertainment. The spirit left, and the pastor said, well, we've got to keep the crowds coming, so uh, let's bring in a band, and let's bring in this, and let's bring in that, and let's entertain the people, and then they'll keep coming, and maybe someday the Holy Spirit will come again. Well, this has been so painful for me because... 
What I've always wanted is the presence of the Spirit of God in my life. And this week, as I was reading and praying through this again, I suddenly, it's like a light went on for me. And the light that went on for me is that my definition of having the Spirit is speaking in tongues, healing the sick, raising the dead. That's been my working understanding of the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's totally wrong. I do have the Spirit. The Spirit of God has come into my life. I am in Jesus Christ. I am totally committed to Him. I'm not walking in any known sin. I've crossed the line. I'm walking in Jesus. I do have the Spirit, and suddenly great joy just exploded in my heart. Because what I've been condemning myself for all of my life, the absence of the Spirit, I had to acknowledge the Spirit of God is in my life. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Jesus is my Lord. So then I had to begin to look again at the opposite of the Spirit, and the opposite of the Spirit is by going out and trying to work in the rules and the governance of the world to accomplish what I desire to accomplish. This is what happened with the Galatians. They stopped being in Christ and began to produce their life out of their own wisdom and their own understanding. And then bitterness rose, fights sprang up, a lack of love and compassion, jealousy, envy, accusations. All of this began to flow because now everybody had his little kingdom and everybody was trying to build his kingdom. And if you get in my way, I'm going to run over you. You know, I was coming here today, driving, getting onto I-95 from Dumfries Road. And the other lane had the yield sign. And suddenly a car came racing through on the berm and cut right in front of me. I slam on my brakes. And he waves. He was determined to have his way. And he used a weapon of a couple thousand pounds to prove he could get his way. Now, I will admit, my horn almost wore out. But this is what happens as we leave Jesus and begin to enter into walking in our own way. The conflict begins to flow. The darkness begins to impede. And Paul sees this and he says, you lazy, careless Galatians, why are you going back and trying to rebuild what was destroyed by the Spirit? Then he says, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Now, the modern teachers have always taught that Abraham is the example of living by faith, meaning you don't have to do anything. You just say, I believe, and it's done. But I want to show you this passage. The Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, in chapter 12 of Genesis. This is Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, or Abram, left as the Lord told him. It says here, In Galatians, the third chapter, he believed God and it was credited him as righteousness. That word credited in the modern church is translated as imputed. Imputed means it was credited to you, but it was not because of reality. It was not factual. The word credited literally means to inventory. You know, in the store, you go into the store first of the year and you see these people with counters and they're counting all the books. They're counting all the merchandise. They're counting the clothing. Why? Because they have to report to the government because they're going to be taxed according to what their inventory is. If their inventory is at a certain level, that means they've sold so much. And that means the government's interested in collecting the tax. Literally, it means to go through the shelves and count everything and see what is there. It says here, consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was inventoried to him as righteousness. Righteousness means innocence. Okay? Innocence. If you're innocent, it means you haven't done anything wrong. So Abraham is told, leave your country your people, and your father's household, and go to the land, and I will show you, that I will show you. Well, what if he said, well, I'm going to stay in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, is Abraham considered righteous? If he doesn't go, is he righteous? If he doesn't obey the word of the Lord, is he righteous? No, he's not. But now, what if I say, okay, now God's going to say, 
Abraham, because I love you and you're such a great guy, you can live in Ur of the Chaldees and pretend that you've moved to the promised land. Now you'd say, come on, that's insanity. And it is insanity. If you haven't moved, you're not innocent. So the Lord is coming in this book of Galatians, and he's saying, look, do what Abram did. When God says to you, move, move. Where is God saying we should move? He's saying, move into me. Move into Jesus. Jesus is our dwelling place if we are Christians. If we are not Christians, then we're operating under the law. And the law only condemns. I was talking with one of you. We were saying to each other, the government has added so many rules and regulations and laws that any one of us in this room, if we were carefully investigated, would be proven a lawbreaker and would probably go to jail. I don't know about you, but I broke the law coming today. The traffic was flowing at 70, and so I drove 70. Any policeman could have stopped me and given me a ticket. The problem is the policeman was passing me. He wasn't going to stop and give me a ticket. He was headed for Egg McMuffin. He wanted his coffee. It was breakfast time for him. And so we learn how to twist and bend the law and how to make ourselves feel good while we're doing that. And the Lord is saying, would you move out of that whole system of thought? And would you move into me? Let's take it further. Understand then, this is verse 7, Galatians 3, verse 7. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. The word justify, again, means to be made righteous, to be innocent. He saw that we would live by faith. But we would be made righteous through the years of my life. I sometimes, no, I often, no, I almost always felt that God was distant from me. And I used to make accusations against God and say, you really don't care, do you, God? You see what I'm going through and you just don't seem to care. Where are you? And why are you allowing this suffering in my life and in other people's lives? Oh, I had a lot of accusations against God. 
God intervenes by his spirit and finally gives us eyes to see and ears to hear that we are responsible for our own actions and our own sin and whatever misery we choose to create, we are responsible for that. That God did not make our life miserable. That God did not give us this hard assignment to punish us. That's not who God is. We have a fight. We have a broken heart. We did that. We get angry and blaze with rage. We did that. That's our choice. We push God away and we say, don't come near, and then we're mad at him because he's not close. We push God away because we refuse to leave Ur of the Chaldees and move to the promised land because the journey is going to be painful. And then we blame God. He says, the scripture foresaw, verse 8, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, the man who acted. If I say, Rochelle, you're very special. I think you're great. I want to be a close friend. And then all the time, I'm over here, and I don't talk to Rochelle. I don't sacrifice in any way for her. Oh, if I have time, I might shoot her a text and say, Hi, how you doing? Am I close to her? No. Am I a friend? No. This issue, it says, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. What does the word believe mean? To be close to. To be inseparable from. To be intimate with. That's what the word believe means. The scripture foresaw that God would make righteous, make innocent the Gentiles by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith those who have absolute assurance, those who do not question the reality of Jesus, who do not question the reality that he loves you and died for you and invites you to enter into him. See, faith means in the Old Testament, fidelity to. In the New Testament, absolutely convinced of. 
Clearly, no one, verse 11, is made righteous before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. So I live in Jesus by faith. And if you choose, you live in the world by faith under the law. Because you've been absolutely convinced that you have a right to do what you want to do and go where you want to go and feel what you want to feel and act the way you want to act, and I'm on my way, and I'm free. It's illusionary. Because time is marching, and your life is moving along, and you're growing older. So it's an illusion that I'm always going to be this strong handsome, smart man. Go to the nursing home and see what they look like. I mean, nursing homes aren't favorite places for us to hang out at, are they? We don't like the smell. We don't like the slobber coming down the chin. You know that's where you're going. We all end up feeble, One man that listened to the radio every day called me, encouraged me. When I last saw him, he was hunched over with Lou Gehrig's and spittle was coming out of his mouth. And I was there wiping it away, speaking words of love to him, encouraging him. He never thought he'd be in that position. He thought he'd always be a preacher and a strong witness for Jesus. He's not. He's gone now. He's in his grave. Where we're all going. So now the real issue is right there on the line. Will we live as the foolish, lazy Galatians and live our own life according to the way we want to live it, fighting and quarreling, bitterness and anger, ambition, lusting after money and power, lusting after comfortableness. Are we going to live that way? Or are we going to say, Jesus, I'm going to live in you? Now, Truth in advertising, please. Chapter 3, verse 4. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing? When you make the decision to follow Jesus, there will be a crucifixion that will take place in your heart and in your life, and it will not be comfortable. You will suffer. amazing when you stand with a mama as she's giving birth to a child, which I've done a couple of times in my life, watched daughters and grandchildren be born. My daughter said, Daddy, if I'd known it was going to be like this, I'd have never gotten pregnant. 
That was on her first time. Five later, she said, I think, I think I have enough now. But I really would like another one. <laughs> but Michael had his tubes tied. You know, after the agony of the birthing process, the look on Mama's face as she cuddles that new life. Don't ask her right then if she wants another one. (laughs) But the smile and the joy are incredible. When you want to be birthed into Jesus Christ, you are going to suffer. You're going to be stripped out. You're going to be pierced through. But the joy when you come through in victory and you're finally done with sin and you know you now dwell in Jesus, there is explosive joy. But these Galatians, they kind of figured out they'd had enough of the journey. And they said, we don't need this. We can do our own deal and still have Jesus. So they pulled back, and Paul comes after him. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You know, in the, in the years when I thought I did not have the presence of the Spirit because I did not have revival. Verse 5, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Have you seen any miracles? I could take all the rest of the time and would not begin to cover the miracles that I've seen in the last two weeks. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Call a brother who's having a very difficult work week, and I say to him, I'm just calling to see if you're still alive. And in spite of the very hard week, I hear the joy in his voice that he is going through. And the victory is his. Even though he's neck deep in snow and plowing as hard as he can. And it looks like he's going to freeze to death out there. There is pain in going through. But God does intervene and work miracles on our behalf. And I urge you to take some time today and just think about what has God done for me today? What miracles has he performed for me today? And I can tell you now, if you're walking in Christ, you're either purposely unconscious, or you will have a whole list of things that God has done for you. 
Our God is a God of miracle. He is a God of intervention. He has not left us alone. And when I heard the welcome today, I said, the Spirit of God's telling me the same thing the Spirit of God is telling Catherine. The God we serve is near. His name is near. And whether we, in our pain, are able to see it or not, the preserving work of God in miraculous, wonderful power is moving on our behalf. He is working out his plan in our hearts. As one brother said to me, the tougher it gets for me, the more serious I know God is about getting the ground of my heart under his control. He's right. God is serious about getting the ground of your heart under his control so that he can raise up a crop of innocence and righteousness and joy and peace and love in your life. He's not trying to destroy us. He's trying to heal us, to heal the wounds the devil has inflicted as we have pursued the way of the law. I see we're running out of time. I'm going to continue this study. But I want to give you a heads up. Go to verse 22. The scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be made righteous by faith. And now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the Lord, of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Seed in the Old Testament, when spoken of, was singular for Abraham. It is not plural today. It is singular. Our identity is to be found in Jesus Christ, in Jesus alone. That is the source of our identity. Now, these words are so strange. We are led to Christ, but then he takes it the next step and talks about living in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? How do you live in another person? Well, only if that person lives in you. Christ has to be formed in you. 
He says, I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is 419. So there is a suffering process. There is a dying process. There's a crucifixion process that goes in our, in our hearts. And as we're going through that process, Jesus Christ is being formed in us so that we become like Jesus. So that when Jesus comes, he recognizes us as his own because we are like him. So every unlikeness of Jesus about our hearts, Jesus is in the process of trimming out. Now, can I put it more aptly? He's in the process of jackhammering out. It's a process that Jesus takes us through. Now, it can take your whole life if you desire. Or it can take a much shorter period of time if you're eager. Most of us are very resistant to the work of Christ. And we keep thinking we want to go back like the Galatians and be lazy and be foolish. Jesus is saying we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. But I'm going to do it. So you can be as mad about it as you want to be. When you said, Jesus Christ, I will serve you, you were put in the prison of Jesus Christ. Now, the only way you can exit that prison is to utterly renounce him. You can't just be indifferent to him because he'll keep interfering in your life. When you say, Jesus, I will serve you, you are my Lord, you no longer have a right to go back and live like the world. And if you do, you'll begin to feel the jackhammer. And your whole life will rattle and shake. Now, the part I want to share that I'm not going to go in today suddenly dawned on me that, yes, if I do have the Holy Spirit, and I do, and miracles are constantly being worked in my life and in yours, not revival presence, not Pentecost power, Holy Spirit is spoken of in two ways. In the book of Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as a seal of ownership on your life, a lock on your life, where he says, I have you, I'm going to do my work in you, and you're going to suffer. There's a second power spoken of in the book of Acts, which is Pentecost power, which is revival power. Now, if you look carefully, and we'll go there later, if you look carefully at the message to the church at Laodicea, you will find the three necessary steps to take. And after those three steps have been taken and accomplished, then we can expect Pentecost power and revival. And we'll go in depth looking at those, we've already begun that process. But I want to look at them from the perspective of sanctification. 
that I believe that those three steps are the natural, necessary processes that God wants to take us through to make us righteous so that then he can grant to us the presence of Pentecost power. So first I want to ask, have you said, Jesus Christ, I belong to you. I will serve you. If you have said that, there is a lock now on your life. The Holy Spirit has come, and he's doing the work in your life. If you have not made that serious covenant to Jesus, you're still wandering around being lazy and careless. And Jesus is still after you. He still wants you. But you have to make the decision. There is the broad way lined with churches and religion and entertainment and everything in the world that pleases the flesh. Did you know religion can please the flesh? Or there is the way of the cross. There is the narrow path. There is the way where we must make a decision. Do we want the intervention of God in our lives to save our souls? And he will come and he will do that work because he loves us. Lord Jesus, what a magnificent, magnificent God you are. I praise and honor and worship your name. And I ask, Lord, that you would unfold for us these very simple truths that we have such a hard time trying to grasp. Because there's still that part of many hearts that wants to hang on to the world and yet have you too, Jesus. And our orthodoxy doesn't get it done. And our entertainment and worldly Christian doesn't get it done. Lord, only by the power of the blood of Jesus, only by your Holy Spirit, can we be transformed into your likeness. I plead with you, Jesus, have your way this week with every person and open our eyes that we could see the miraculous work you are doing on our behalf because you love us. Some this week, Lord, need powerful deliverance. Deliverance in their work, in their marriage. Lord, they need powerful deliverance in their inner being to give up their pride and arrogance and bitterness and humbly accept your will for them. Lord, would you have your way? I pray now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of Pilgrim's Progress. It's brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel, and we're located in Woodbridge, Virginia. You can write to us at Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or you can visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.